0: Good morning, guys. Hey, uh, if you've got a Bible, open them up to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, that's in your Bible, right? Second Chronicles, it's in the first half, so go ahead and make your way there. Um, and then uh, let's spend just a, a moment to pray before we get started. Father, thanks for the opportunity that we have to spend together this morning and to, in an attitude and a posture of thankfulness. Uh, even when it's hard to have a posture of thankfulness, God, is... Uh, it, it, it's crucial to, crucial to our soul. It's crucial to our emotional patterns. It's crucial to how we see you. And so this morning, Father, we want to be thankful in all things. We want to be thankful for you where you have us in life. We want to be thankful for where you've carried us from. And Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, God, you would speak just so boldly and so clearly through me. Um, Father, there, this is a difficult time of the year for for a lot of folks. And so would you just uh uh, speak some uh, comfort and peace into some lives this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Thanksgiving is a, a time of the year uh, where we often just kind of look back over the past year, and, and we thank God for all the the blessings that, that we've walked through, right? Um, but I, I there, it's also, it's difficult for us at times, too, uh, to look back and be thankful because some of us, we've just walked through so, so many tight battles in our life where, uh, like, we just don't even know what we're going to do next. We don't know where to turn. We don't know where to run. We don't know who to ask. We feel like we've exhausted every resource that we have, and we have no idea what to do next. And because of that, we just feel so overwhelmed. And in that place of being overwhelmed, we don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do. And because of that, it makes it so difficult for us to turn around and to say, hey, thank you, God, or to pour out any praise to God because sometimes we're, we're just a little upset because he's allowing us to go through the thing that we're going through. Some of us right now, we're in a financial crisis, and, and we don't know where to turn. For, for some of us, we, we go to school every day, and there's a bully who's waiting for you. He knows your name, you know his name, and he's waiting for you to show up, or she's waiting for you to show up, and you don't feel like you can get away from her. For some of you, that bully's not at school, that bully's at home. And you you go home, and he's there. And you go home, and and she's there, and there's nowhere you can run, and there's nowhere that you can hide. The bully is right there every time you walk in the door. For some of you, your your health took a, a turn for the worse this year. You didn't see it coming. The, the, the diagnosis is staring you down, uh, staring you eyeball to eyeball, and you don't know what to do, you've tried everything that you can, you've exhausted all your resources. You say, I don't know what to do now, and you've talked to the doctors and they say, hey, we've, we've exhausted all of our resources too, and we don't even know where we're going to turn next. And, and so you're wondering, what are we going to do? I don't know, I feel so overwhelmed. And for some of you, It's relational. Like you've been on the inside of the friendship circle, and inside that circle, man, you've enjoyed friendship, you've enjoyed camaraderie, but somehow you found yourself on the outside of that circle, a place that you never thought that you would be, but now it just hurts. And you feel like your entire world is crashing all around you, and everything is beginning to fall apart. Your kids are going crazy. Your spouse is going crazy, your, your kids uh, have left, they've flown the coop, or your husband or your wife has flown the coop, and you're wondering, what on earth are we going to do? For for some of you, it's the job that you go to every single day of your week, every single day of your life. You've been in the same place for the past two decades, three decades, and there's been this overwhelming sense of security. And when you're at work, man, this is like I like either I like it, I don't, I don't know, but I know it's secure. And for whatever reason, that that uh, rug has been pulled out from underneath of you, and that security is no longer there. And so whenever you go to work, you you don't know from week to week, or maybe even from hour to hour, if you're going to still have that job. Or not, and it just seems so overwhelming for you. And so for you, when you look back over the past year, it's hard to be thankful because of the circumstances of your life. They just seem so overwhelming. And sometimes what happens is those circumstances keep us from seeing that there is a God in heaven who not only sees you, but he loves you. And not only does he see you and he loves you, but he also he fights for you. And so all I want to do this morning with the time that we have together before we go out and eat, I just I, I want to spend the time reminding us of, of that it doesn't matter what the circumstance of our life may be, that our circumstance doesn't have to dictate whether or not we're going to praise God or not. Our, our circumstance doesn't have to dictate whether or not we're going to be thankful to God or, or, or not, because He sees you. He fights for you. He knows the battle that you're in, and He wants to fight that with you. We have a God who fights for us. Even when we can't see it, He fights for us. We have a God who fights for us. Even when we can't feel it, He is fighting for us. Even when we don't know what to do, we have a God who is fighting for us. And even when we feel overwhelmed, we have a God who is fighting for us. If you have your Bible, again, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter twenty. And in chapter 20, we find a a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat real quick. Jehoshaphat. Like, isn't that a great name? Jehoshaphat. We find this king who's in the middle of this crisis in his life, and he has no idea what he's going to do. He is completely overwhelmed and has no clue what he's going to do. Here's what it says in chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men... Came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitudes coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that's in Geddy, and then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now Jehoshaphat, he has a problem on his hands. You could some some could say that he has a crisis on his hands. Jehoshaphat was the was the king of Judah. It was the southern tribe of Israel. Israel um, was the northern tribe. Um, uh, as well. They had split sometime in the past in Jehoshaphat. Now, king of Judah has found himself in the middle of a crisis. There are not one, not two, but there are three separate nations and three separate armies that are coming against him and coming against the people that he's sworn to protect. And they are right now on his backyard. They're right now in his backyard lawn, and they're looking for a fight. They want a battle. They smell blood, and there is a fight that is inevitable. It's going to happen. And they are breathing down his neck. You want to talk about being overwhelmed. Like You've got three people, three armies, three nations wanting to take him out. And the Bible says in verse 3 that he was afraid. I mean, how could you not be afraid, right? Your worst fear as a king is playing out right in front of you. You don't have the manpower to fight back. You don't have the resources to pay off the enemy. You don't have the resources or the ability to get the people out of the way. You don't have everything that you need to call the dogs off. You don't have the resources to pay the bill. Go ahead and put your situation in here. You don't have the ability to to get your kids to the place that you want to get them. You don't have the ability to get to work anymore. You don't have the resources to pay off the man who's coming against you. You can't protect your land. And if you can't protect your land, you don't have the ability to protect the people that you, that you love so much and the land that you love so much. There simply is, for Jehoshaphat, no quick fix in this problem. He doesn't have the ability to fix what's in front of him. And so he has a crisis on his hands. He has a problem on his hands, and he is completely overwhelmed. Now, I don't know how you respond when you have a crisis on your hands. I don't know how you feel when things aren't going perfect in your life, but I know how I, I respond. Sometimes I'm just like, God, why would you do this? Why would you let me go through with this right now? Like, I'm over here, I'm, I'm king and pretty good right now. I'm doing my thing all right. I'm not perfect. I don't get everything right all the time, but I'm doing a pretty decent job over here. Or I'm being a good dad over here. Or I'm being a good husband over here. Or I'm being a good employee. Again, I don't get everything right, but I'm doing okay. So why would you choose right now in this moment to send this crisis into my life? Why would you choose right now to send this battle into the midst of me? You know I don't have time for this. You know that I just came through wave after wave after wave of this garbage that was coming my way. So why would you do this to me right now? God, do you even care? Do you even care about what I'm going through? And what tends to happen when the battle begins to show up in your life is that fear begins to to be birthed. And when that fear shows up, insecurity and instability begin to show And when it feels like the rug's been pulled out from underneath of you and and that security is gone, then what begins to happen is doubt begins to pop up into your life. And as doubt settles into your space, you begin to wonder, does God even care? Does God even care about what I'm going through? Because the battle seems so big that it sucks any hope out of your life that anything could ever be different. It sucks any joy or hope out of your life that I could actually enjoy the life that God has given me. Everything is falling apart. And what happens is you feel powerless. You feel powerless to fix it. You feel powerless to change anything. Everything is against you. And, and sometimes you feel powerless to help protect the people that you love so much in your family, in your circles, in your friendships. Uh, I want you to watch what happens here with Jehoshaphat. He's overwhelmed by what's going on. There is a battle that's looming, and it's inevitable. It's coming into his life. And, and, and what begins to happen is his fear begins to take over. Emotions begin to take over. He was afraid. You ever feel afraid? Does you ever feel like it just won't relent? It won't go away? The boogeyman is still there? I can see him under the bed. I can see him in the closet. I can, I can see it in my mailbox. I can see it in the papers that are coming my way. Ever feel afraid? What, why was Jehoshaphat afraid here? He was afraid because he was powerless to fix the situation. Verse 12 says that they were powerless against the great horde that's coming against them. And he said, we don't know what to do. We're powerless. And we don't know what to do. See, fear doesn't usually show up in your life when you've got all the answers, does it? <laughs> fear doesn't usually show up when you have the power in and of yourself to fix the situation. Fear doesn't show up in your world when you've got the money to pay the bills. Fear doesn't show up when, 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 you, when, you're, when your girlfriend is treating you well or when your boyfriend's treating you well or when your husband's treating you well. Like, fear shows up when everything is breaking loose in your life and the dam has broke loose and the water is coming smashing, in you and it's wave after wave. Fear shows up when you don't have the the ability to fix or to change the situation. Fear shows up when you're powerless to fix or change the circumstance or to change the situation. But I want you to see what Jehoshaphat does here. In in the middle of all this coming at him, he keeps perspective even in the middle of this crisis. Look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to, to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the, all the kingdoms. You rule over all the nations. In your hand are power and might so that no one's able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and they've built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if a disaster comes upon us, the sword, this is a crisis, right? The sword of judgment or pestilence or famine, these are battles that come your way. You not stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. Jehoshaphat says there there are three nations coming to destroy me. He feels powerless, he feels afraid. His emotions are taken over. And it's at this point when the enemy begins to chirp in your ears, right? When everything, you feel like I am powerless, and the enemy is like, bam, 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 bam. He's he's coming at you with all these things. I told you that that God didn't love you. I, I told you that he wasn't really good. I told you that he doesn't really care about you and he doesn't care about the things that you're going through. I told you that you're not a good mom. I told you that you're not a good dad. I told you that you're not a good husband. I told you that you're not a good wife. I told you that you didn't have the ability to pull off the job that you got, you just got the promotion for. I told you you couldn't do it. I told you you didn't have the ability to lead. I told you that they would never love you. And I told you that they would never love you again. I told you that they're not really your friends. It's at this point, when the waves are coming, crashing in over and over and over, the enemy is chirping in the ears and saying, you don't stand a chance. You've already lost the battle. But Joshua, he's not having any of this because he begins to pull all of Judah together. He pulls them all into the house of the Lord. And instead of letting the lies begin to dictate whether or not he's going to be thankful or not, Letting the lies begin to dictate whether or not he is going to praise God or not. Let it, letting the lies lead him to a place of fear. He himself, he presses into the Lord. And as he presses into the Lord, he grabs all of Judah and he, and he presses them into the Lord too. What he does is he takes his focus off of the problem and he begins to turn his eyes towards the Lord. He takes his eyes off of the problem and he takes all of Judah's eyes off the problem and puts them on the Lord. You see, sometimes the best thing that you can do in the midst of a battle that just seems so overwhelming to you, and a crisis that seems to be coming wave after wave after wave and it's sucking all the joy out of your life, where you feel like you have no hope, one of the best things that you can do when the crisis is there is to take your eyes off of the crisis and to put your eyes on Christ. Is to take your eyes off of the problem and to put your eyes on the Lord. And what Jehoshaphat does is he begins to set his face and his eyes to the Lord, and he pulls all of Judah together so that they can set their face to the Lord as well. And they look back now at how good God has been to them. And he begins to focus them in on the character of God, who he's been and who he is now still in their life. And they look at the promises that he's given. They look at who he is. And he reminds himself, and he reminds all of Judah, of how good God is now, that's a, that's a lot different than sitting around and sulking, isn't it? It's a lot different than sitting around being overwhelmed by the crisis, saying, God, why me? Why now? Why? Don't you know? Don't you see? Don't you care? Don't you love? It's a whole lot different. They're, they're not denying, or Joseph. he's not denying the feelings. He's not denying the emotion. He, he's saying, man, I am, I am afraid. I am disappointed. He's not dwelling in the midst of the, the disappointment. He's, he's looking towards the Lord. He's turning his face towards the Lord. He says, God of our fathers, aren't you the God of heaven? You, you rule over all the kingdoms and you rule over all the nations. In other words, what he's saying is, what happens right here on earth, what the, this thing that I'm going through right now, this battle that I'm in, these nations that are waging war against me, they don't rule you, Lord. You rule over them. This battle isn't too big for you. You're bigger than this battle. He's saying, you are, the, you are the king of all nations. You are the God over all of this. You're the God over all of this. Didn't you drive out the inhabitants of this land that we're standing on right now? Didn't you drive out the inhabitants and, and, and tell Abraham, your friend, that it was going to be His? And then back in chapter 6 of this, this same book, in chapter, or chapter 6, verse 34, it says, like, you made promises to Solomon. You, you promised that if we were ever in a situation like this again, if we were ever in a situation that just seemed way too big for us, that if we cried out to you and we just felt so overwhelmed and the battle was too big, if we cried out to you, you would jump in and you would save. Do you remember that, God? Do you see what Jehoshaphat's doing in this text? He's pointing people back to God. He's calling God to act upon His character. He's calling God to act upon who He is and the promises that He's already made. He's calling God to act upon who He is as their God. He's saying to Himself, and He's reminding Himself, and He's reminding the people that God has the authority and the power to fix what He can't. Okay? That God has the power To fix what we can't. God has the power to fix what Jehoshaphat can't. He has the power to fix what we can't. See, he's terrified in this moment, but he's not letting these feelings dictate the truth in his life. He's not letting the fear dictate the truth that God has the ability to change things. And he's not denying the feelings, right? These these feelings and these emotions, emotions are things that come from the Lord. He's not denying those for heaven's sake, like own the emotion, right? I'm afraid. I'm worn out. I'm worn thin. I'm going crazy. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. Own the emotion. But then bring it back to the Lord and lay it at his feet. Look what he says in verse 10. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, And whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. He's saying, "God, we played nice. Like we could have attacked them, but you told us not to, and we didn't. But now they're not playing by the rules. They're not playing fair. They are laughing in our face and are throwing that in our face because of this." He says, "Oh, our God!" In verse twelve, will you not execute judgment on them? Guys, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to circle this next passage in verse 12. I want you to underline it. I want you to try to, to memorize it because this is the linchpin of where things begin to change for Jehoshaphat. Verse 12. Oh our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do. But watch this. It says, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. We are powerless. God, this battle is too big. I am powerless. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I'm overwhelmed. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What Jehoshaphat is doing is saying, I'm not going to keep looking at the crisis. I'm going to avert my eyes and start looking at the God who can do something about this. See, again, sometimes the best thing that you can do in your life when the, when the battles keep coming and coming and it's wave after wave and you don't know what to do, the best thing you can do is take your eyes off of the crisis and put your eyes on Christ. And what he's saying is I'm taking my eyes off of my issue and I'm putting my eyes on the Lord. What happens is as long as you keep looking at the battle that is just absolutely too big for you, as long as you keep staring down the problem, the problem is going to keep staring, down, staring you down. As long as you keep staring at the problem, the emotion of fear and being overwhelmed, it's going to keep battling against you. But when you, as a psalmist does, when you begin to look to the hills and say, I look to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When you begin to look to where your help really comes from, then you're able to give thanks then you're able to give praise in situations that just don't make any sense whatsoever. We say, Lord, we're going to look to the hills. We know that our help doesn't come from anything that I can conjure up myself. Our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. We don't have the money, God, but our eyes are on you. My marriage, God, but my eyes are on you. My kids, God, but my eyes are on you. My boss, God, but my eyes are on you. People are dying all around me, God. I'm frustrated, God. I don't know what to do, God. The situation is too big for me, but my eyes are on you. Look at verse 13. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. All of Judah is, is present here. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God shows up here in 2 Chronicles. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, 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 all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. Say that with me. The battle is not yours, but God's. Say it one more time. The battle is not yours, but God's. do underline that. Circle the mess out of that in your, your Bibles. Because what do you mean that the battle is not yours? I face this every single day of my life. What do you mean it's not my battle? It's the Lord's. W- w- you, you, you said that the battle was too big, right? You said that the battle was overwhelming you, right? You said that you were afraid, right? You called me to act on my goodness and out of my character, right? You got and then hand it off to me. Hand it to me and let me fight the battle for you. It's too big for you anyway, and I'm better at fighting this than you are anyway. So let me fight the battle for you. See, this isn't the first time that this has happened. This happens all throughout the Old Testament. It happens all throughout Scripture. I mean, Moses. This happened with Moses. Moses had his back against the wall. Literally, he had his back against the Red Sea, and is, and, and all of all of Pharaoh's army, and Pharaoh was coming hot down against the Israelites, and their back was against the Red Sea. And they said, God, what are we going to do? We don't know what to. We don't know where. Like we're out of space. The real estate is gone. Where are we going? he says, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to sit back and watch me do something that the world has never seen before. You're going to watch me open up a way that's never happened before. He says, watch, the Lord will fight for you. And he opened up an impossible way. He opened up the Red Sea. And Israel goes trotting through on dry ground, and then the waters come splashing down on all of Pharaoh's army, and the battle was over before it ever even really got started. And then you see it with a a boy named David who's going to go fight against uh, this this giant who could have snapped him in an instant. And God said, the battle's not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And that battle, that fight was over before it ever, ever really got started. And so God told Jehoshaphat, hand the battle over to me. The battle is not yours. It's mine. Let me fight it. He wants to fight the battle. Look at verse 16. It says, tomorrow go down against them. (laughs) What do you mean you told us you're going to fight it? He says, go down against them. Behold, they're going to come up by the ascent of Ziz. They're in your backyard. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeru. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Go down against them, but you're not going to need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O oh, Judah, O oh, Jerusalem, do not be afraid and don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord's going to be with you. You won't have to fight it. You don't have to fight it. But he says, you're going to have to show up. The battle's there, so you have to show up. You have to be ready to fight it, but you're going to watch me fight the battle on your behalf. Verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites uh, of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. See, like the battle hasn't even been fought yet. The battle hasn't even been won Yet. But the very idea that there's a God who's going into the fight for them, they're already beginning to praise God for what he's going to do on their behalf. Verse 20, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe what God has said, that he's going to fight the battle and you're going to be established. Believe his prophets and you'll succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Like, they are still in the midst of the battle. Like, it hasn't even happened yet. Like, the the enemy, three of them, they're staring down the Israelites. They're staring down Judah. They're, 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 They're right there in their backyard, ready to fight. And it hasn't even gone down yet. And yet they're beginning to sing praise to God. Give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever. Watch what happens next in verse 22. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Do you see what happened here in this passage? Like, Judah is over here. They're singing and they're praising God. Give thanks to the Lord for what God is going to do. And then over here, down in the valley, there's a fight going on that they're supposed to be in. And God is over here fighting their battle for them. These three nations, these three armies, all they wanted was to defeat Judah. And yet God is over here fighting this battle while they're over here singing praises for what God's going to do for them. He said he was going to fight the battle and that's exactly what he's doing over here. And so you have two nations that are over here destroying one nation. This nation gets destroyed completely and then these two nations start fighting with one another and they're completely destroyed. These armies killed themselves. Completely destroyed. And then here's Judah over here praising God for the battle was not theirs but it was the Lord's. And then they go into the city and they plunder the cities and what, and what God says is that there was so much in the city that they couldn't even carry it all out. They went back in three days. Three days they went in to plunder the city and they still didn't have enough manpower to carry out everything that was in the city. God fought their battle for them. You may have a battle right now during this season that makes it really difficult to look back and to say, you know what, I can be thankful and I can praise. Should I try to pinpoint that battle in your mind? What I want to do is I want to remind us that the circumstance in our life, the battle in your life, doesn't have to dictate whether or not you're going to praise God. The battle in your life doesn't have to dictate whether or not you're going to be thankful to God because we have a God who fights for us. Even when we can't see it, He fights for us. Even when we can't feel it, he fights for us. Even when we don't know what to do and we feel like we've exhausted all of our resources, we have a God who fights for us. When we're powerless, he's powerful. When we can't, he can. When it seems like there's no way, he makes a way. When the waves keep coming in, wave after wave after wave, and you feel like there's three armies that are standing against you, and you are afraid And fear is beginning to take over your world. He says, bring it on because I'm not afraid. Bring it on because I'm not afraid. It's not bigger than me. I can fight that battle. It doesn't scare him at all. And this is the God who sees you. This is the God who loves you. And this is the God who fights for you. We don't know what to do, God. But our eyes are on you. Would you pray with me and let's just spend just a minute to thank the Lord for fighting our battles, the thing that we can see and the thing that is so overwhelming us even right now. (coughs) Father, this is Thanksgiving week. like We're entering into it and we want to be thankful. We want to praise you, God. We want to say thanks for all that you have done. But there is so much sometimes where it just sits heavy on us. I want to pray that you would remind every one of us in this room whether we're in the middle of a battle right now or if we've gone through a battle, we know that we're going to go through a battle at some point in our life in the future. I want to pray that you would remind us that you are the God who has fought for us. You are the God who is fighting for us. And you are the God who will continue to fight for us, no matter how big the battle is. And you just want us to hand it off to you. And so would you allow us to do that this morning? <laughs> God, help us to hand it off and not to just cling to it and run around with it and say, it's mine, it's mine, I can fix it, I can fix it. I, I, I can do it on my own. God, would you allow us to hand it to you, the one who's bigger than the nations, who rules over all, that can actually have the power to defeat the enemy that's against us. So, Father, we want to hand it to you this morning. Cause us to be thankful, and we thank you for the blessings that you put in our life. Help us to see what those blessings are right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.